start in verse 16. We looked at the first almost half of Psalm 69 last Wednesday night. And we're going to try, Lord willing, to wrap up the last little over half of it tonight. Psalm 69, verse 16 is where we will start. This is a psalm of David. Uh, David was going through some difficult time here. We don't know exactly what was going on in David's life, but we know that people were coming against David. We know that there were lots of enemies that were coming against him, as numerous as the hair on his head, he said. And whatever David was going through, it really doesn't matter because when we read the words of David, we can relate in some way. Because we go through things, and what you go through may be different than what David is going through, but when we're going through a tough time, we feel it. We feel the burden of that when it seems like every, everybody's against us. And uh, David used the illustration that he felt like he was in a flood, like he was stuck in the mud, like floodwaters were rising, and they were up to his neck, and, and, he, and he felt like he was going to be overtaken. And so what did he say at the beginning of the psalm? He said, Save me, God. That's a good, good thing for us to remember. When, whenever we feel like things are out of control and everything is against us and we're about to be overtaken by our struggles and hard times in life, even though we know we should call out to the Lord, sometimes we forget until things get really bad. Then we kind of remember when, when the water's up to our neck and we remember, oh, wait, I need to really call out to the Lord. And that's what David did. And he, he talked about his struggle, that his enemies were coming against him, and then at the last couple of verses we looked at, verses 14 and 15, he kind of come back full circle. Okay, God, this flood is coming over me, so please help me. And then we'll pick up there uh, tonight with David continuing to call out to the Lord in verse 16. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, and they are good to us. Even today, all these hundreds of years later, these words are good to us because we need you in our struggles and our hard times. And so, God, I pray that we would seek you in the same way that David did, that we would know, God, because of what Jesus Christ, because he did what he did, because of his victory and his death and his resurrection, God, we have hope and we have strength and we have victory over whatever comes against us. So I pray, God, that we seek Jesus tonight, that we seek your word, and that we listen to what you say. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 69, verse 16. Answer me, Lord, for your faithful love is good, in keeping with your great compassion, turn to me. Now, that's what we say, right? When we're in the midst of our struggles and we're calling out to God, we want to feel like God has heard us. We want some kind of answer. Even if God doesn't necessarily answer our prayer the way we want, we want some, some kind of affirmation. God, give me something. Give me some encouragement to know that you've heard me, that you've listened to me. And David acknowledges something good here. Answer me, Lord, for what reason? For your love, your faithful love is good. He doesn't forget that God is loving and that God is good in the midst of his struggle. And we need to remember the same thing. Sometimes we may question that. God, I'm going through such a hard time. God, how can you be good and allow me to go through this? How can you be good and allow people I love to go through what they go through? God, how can, you, how can you say you love me but allow these things to happen in my life? But yet, God is love and God is good. And we need to remember that in the midst of our struggles, God has not abandoned us. 
And David says, look, answer me, Lord. I know your faithful love is good. I know you are good. And I know you have great compassion. So turn to me. That's a word that it seems like I have been seeing that word compassion in so many verses I read. And I, and I did a search today and I said, I wonder how many times compassion is in the Bible. Because it seems like every other verse I've been reading lately has the word compassion. Now, in my translation, it said, I believe, 87 times in Scripture the word compassion is mentioned. And I was thinking, man, that seems low. So maybe, maybe I'm just happen, by happenstance I'm hitting all the compassion verses. But there's enough of those passages in the Bible to remind us that God has compassion on us. And he wants to have compassion on you and your struggles just as he did David. And that's what David called out for. And that's what we need to call out for. Verse 17. Don't hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Draw near to me and redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. Same idea. Don't hide your face from me. God, let me know that you haven't turned away from me, that you're still here with me. Why? Because I'm in distress, right? We get that because we have days of distress. Maybe every day at some point in time we have distress, and that's what David says. God, don't turn away from me. Let me know that you're still with me. I'm in distress. And what does he say? Answer me quickly. That's what we want, right? We want everything to be quickly. And, and we're, we've kind of trained ourselves to that in this society because everything we do is quick now. You, you want to know anything in the world, you pull up your smartphone or your tablet or your computer, and in about 15 seconds, you can find out about anything you want to know. If you want something that, that, that maybe would have taken months to get years ago, you order it, and the next day, it, somebody will just bring it and drop it off at your door. You want something to eat, chances are within just a few minutes of you, you can drive in your car within an hour. You can probably find any kind of food you want, and you can sit down in a restaurant, and you can get it quickly. We are so used to getting everything quickly. We want everything even quicker than we can get it, especially in our prayer life. We want to ask God for our problem to be solved right now, and in two seconds when we say amen, we say, God, why hadn't you answered my prayer yet? Didn't you hear what I said? We want things to happen quickly. And it's okay for us to ask God to act quickly, and maybe he will. But we also have to remember that even if God doesn't act quickly, that that doesn't mean that God is not acting. Sometimes God is fast acting, and sometimes he is long lasting, like Tylenol, right? You got to go and you got to figure out what kind of Tylenol. Do you want to feel good now? Do you want to feel good later? Fast acting or long lasting? Sometimes God is fast acting, but sometimes God is, is, is long lasting. Sometimes he allows you to go through your struggles for a while, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to act when the time comes. God is with us, and sometimes he, answer, he answers our prayers quickly. Sometimes it's a wait. But don't think just because he's not acting quickly that he is not going to act at all in your situation. Verse 19, you know the insults I endure, my shame and disgrace. You are aware of all my adversaries. Insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none for comforters, but found no one. Man, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt broken hearted and in despair? That's what David said, I was brokenhearted and in despair. And what is one of the greatest things you can, you can have when you are brokenhearted and in despair? That is a friend, somebody who loves you, 
who can love on you and encourage you and give you some, some words of, of love and encouragement. That's what we need in the midst of our brokenheartedness and despair is somebody to, to, to give us that little bit of, of, of nudge in the right direction to make us feel a little better. We need people to comfort us. That's what David was looking for here. That's what he desired. He said, I waited for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but found no one. We need to be comforted comforted in our difficult times. Now, you may be in a time where you need to be comforted now, and hopefully by those around you, you're getting that comfort and encouragement. Through the Word of God, you're getting it. But if you don't need to be comforted now, then look around you because you may quickly find somebody else who does need to be comforted. Chances are you might have already thought of a name in the last five seconds for somebody that you know is struggling that you could give them a comforting word. There is nothing worse than when you go through a hard time and the people that you love don't comfort you. They, they, they stick it to you even more. That's a, that's a bad thing. That's what happened in the story of Job. His wife, she was a miserable comforter. That's what it said of Job's friends. They were miserable comforters. Now you and I, I hope we aren't miserable comforters. And maybe we are. And we need to say, okay, God, if I'm a miserable comforter, then help me to change. We, 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 we want to be those who are comforted by our friends and family by the Word of God, and we also want to be those who use God's Word and, and our own presence to comfort other people. And so David didn't experience that here, but that's what he was seeking, and that's what we see. And one place we find comfort is from our friends and family. Another place we find comfort is from the Word of God, but the great comforter, as the Scripture says, is the Holy Spirit. And so God is our comforter. When we need comfort, where do we go? The same place David went, to the Lord. Verse 27, excuse me, verse 21. Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. So he was looking for a comforter and people to take care of him, but instead of giving him comfort, he says they gave me gall for food and vinegar to drink. Now this verse may sound familiar to you because this is what happened to Jesus on the cross. We see this same, this same verse, this same idea uh, referenced when Jesus was on the cross. And so this is a good clue for us that, hey, there are plenty of scriptures in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus. And this, this chapter uh, in Psalm, we saw a couple of references last week in the New Testament that were applied to Jesus. And we see another reference here where this particular psalm is applied to Jesus and Jesus is suffering. Now, it's certainly applied to David in his day, but it was a foreshadowing. That is, it, it, it foreshadowed, it pointed us to a more perfect fulfillment of when this would take place. And so when Jesus was on the cross and when Matthew wrote these words talking about this, this would have been something that, that, that the Jewish audience that knew what we call the Old Testament, they probably would have recalled these words of David and they would have made some connection here. Hey, this is like David's situation that David was talking about. And then in verse 22 it says, Let their table uh, set before them be a snare and let it be a trap for their allies. Let their eyes grow too dim to see and let their loins continually shake. Pour out your rage on them and let your burning anger overtake them. Make their fortification desolate. May no one live in their tents. So here in verse 22, uh, he starts 
He, he wants God to bring judgment on these people. Look, look, don't let them get comfortable. Don't let them succeed. Don't let them have the ultimate victory. And he uses the language, let the table set before them be a snare. Now, when you sit down at your table, it's a time of feast and it's a time of feasting, uh, uh, peacefulness and feasting, hopefully. You get home at the end of the day after a hard work. It's something good most of the time, hopefully, that you get to sit around the table with your, with your family or with your friends. And it's a time for you to relax. But David said, look, don't, don't let that be the case for my enemies. Don't let them be able to sit comfortably at their table. Even, even let their time of enjoyment be a snare to them. Now, David uses the opposite language of that in Psalm 23. He says, uh, you anointed my head with oil and you, a table, uh, you uh, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in that, in that instance, we see the reverse, that it's David who's being provided for by the Lord while his enemies look on and see, hey, David has been lifted up. He is in a place of satisfaction. He is in a place of peace. He is in a place where God is providing for him. And David asked the opposite for those who are coming against him. Don't let them have that peace and that satisfaction and that enjoyment that they can live in evil and do their evil and at the end of the day sit back and relax and feast. And so God bring judgment and punishment on these people in the midst of their evil. Don't let them be, grow and be strong in the evil that they do. Verse 26, For they persecute the one you struck and talk about the pain of those you wounded. Now, this possibly is a reference to Jesus too. In some of your translations, uh, 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 may have different words capitalized there, but, but some have attributed this to, to Jesus, uh, that this is also a foreshadowing pointing to Jesus, for they persecute the one you struck, uh, that is, uh, speaking of Jesus being the one. And that certainly could be the case. We see similar language in the book of Isaiah, uh, because it was Jesus who was punished for our sins, and it was Jesus who did all those things, and it, and it, and it, and it, and, and, and this particular passage may be speaking in the same kind of language. Again, speaking to Jesus, uh, or excuse me, speaking of David, but it says, for they persecuted the one you struck. Now, this would imply that God did the striking here. So maybe David is acknowledging that, that somehow there is some consequences that David is experiencing from something he did that is part of the reason that caused his struggle. We talked about that last week, that it may not be that David has done anything wrong, but it could be the consequences of something David's done. And particularly, the best example of that is when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed, and when Nathan the prophet uh, revealed to David just how bad what he had done was, he told him, the sword will never leave your house. And, and indeed, David did suffer a lot of problems as a result of that. And maybe this particular problem that David is going through is a consequence to that. And maybe that's why he uses this language that uh, they persecute the one you struck. Maybe part of David's problem here is part of that consequences for that previous sin. Uh, but also these words would be true for Jesus as well. Verse 27. Add guilt to their guilt. Don't let them share in your righteousness. Let them be erased from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous. Now, we see these references to uh, people's names being written in the book of life, or, or, or more specifically, probably it's better to say, we see these references of people's name being erased from the book of life. That's, 
that's almost what we, what we commonly see in that kind of language. Now, there's probably a lot that can be said about the book of life, and we probably, Lord willing, will talk about verses that discuss that next Wednesday night. But the book of life uh, would, would be the book that contains those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and David says, look, I don't, want, I don't want these people, their name to be in there. I want them to suffer punishment and to be destroyed for what they do. And so he says, uh, let them be erased from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous. These people are evil. They're not righteous. They're not living righteously. So therefore, let them be separated from the righteous. There's, like I said, a lot that we can, that we can talk about the book of life. And we'll talk about that next Wednesday night should the Lord will. So if you want to learn more about that, come back next week. Verse 29, But as for me, poor and in pain, let your salvation protect me, God. I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. That will please Yahweh more than an ox, more than a bull with horns and hooves. The humble will see it and rejoice. You who seek God, take heart. So what is he asking for? He's asking for God's salvation to protect him. We saw the same language in the first half of the psalm. God, send your salvation to protect me. What is salvation? It is deliverance. He wants to be saved. He wants to be delivered, in his case, from the situation against his enemies. And so we want salvation from our enemies in this world. But the greatest thing that we want to be saved from is sin and death and separation from God. So typically when we think about salvation, we think about it in, a, in, the, in the fullest sense, not just, okay, I'm, I'm in a bad situation here, save me from it. Yeah, we want to be saved from that. But, but we realize that there are greater situations than our worldly situations that we need to be saved from, and that is we want to be saved from our sin and from death and separation from God. And so that's what David says here. Look, protect me uh, by your salvation. And then he says, look, that will please Yahweh more than an ox, more than a bull with horns and hooves. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't specifically say here uh, he's speaking of sacrifice, but I think that's what he's talking about when he talks about ox and bulls pleasing the Lord. He's talking about uh, those things are, are, are animals that are sacrificed to God. And we see similar language earlier on in the Psalms, that a sacrifice that is pleasing to God is a broken and contrite heart. Not the, not the blood of, of goats and bulls and not burnt offering. God doesn't want burnt offering as much as he wanted people's heart to turn to him. And even though he doesn't speak of burnt offering here, I believe that that's what he's talking about when he talks about the ox and the bull. And so what is going to please God more than ox and bull? that we praise his name, that we seek him for salvation, that we praise his name, that we exalt him, and that we, uh, uh, the humble, it says, will see and rejoice. Uh, you who seek God, take heart. So what are we seeing and rejoicing in? God's salvation, God's deliverance. When we see that and we praise God for it, we see it, we humble ourselves before God, and that's what is pleasing to God, when our heart is humbled before him. Not, not the outward acts that we do, but our heart. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't want us to do outward acts. He certainly does, but he wants our heart to be right first. Verse 33, For the Lord listens to the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. That's a good verse right there. I suspect that that would be a really good verse if we should ever find ourselves in prison. There are many brothers and sisters in Christ who are 
literally in prison. Now, we could say that this, this is symbolic language. David may not have literally been in a prison, and that, that could be so. And sometimes we may feel like prisoners in our own situations, prisoners in our own lives, or prisoners in our own homes, whatever kind of language we may use. There may be times that we feel like prisoners, as David did, but what does it say? For the Lord is ready to listen, or excuse me, for the Lord listens to uh, the needy and does not despise his own who are prisoners. So David knows, hey, the Lord is ready to listen to you in the midst of your struggle. And uh, should we ever find ourselves in a situation where we are literally in prison, whether it's for the Lord or some sinful act that we have committed, perhaps that's a good time for us to say, maybe I need to call out to the Lord. And maybe this verse would be a verse that the Holy Spirit would call to your mind. Verse 34. Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. They will live there and possess it. The descendants of His servants will inherit it. And those who love His name will live in it. Now, those last couple of verses there, we kind of take a shift from from David's personal situation, and now all of a sudden we're talking about Zion and Judah. We're talking about Jerusalem and that area. And what does he say? He says God will save it. God will build up the cities, uh, that God's people will live in this area, and they will possess it, that the descendants of his servants will inherit it, uh, and those who love his name will live in it. And so I think David's just kind of David's just kind of giving us a, a kind of a blanket statement to God will deliver his people. Now, he, he may be speaking of some specific situation in there in that area, or he may, he may be speaking just in a general term. Hey, I'm calling out to God in my struggle, and God will deliver me. I believe that. And so God will deliver all of his people, not just people who were living in David's day, but God will deliver all of his people. And that's what we see in the perfect sense when we get to the New Testament when we get to Jesus Christ. What did Jesus come for? He came to bring salvation to all his people, to bring all of his people into a place of protection and into a place of peace. Now, we won't experience that in this life, but should we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will experience that for all of eternity. And so that's what we look forward to. We call out to, to Jesus, hopefully like, like David does here. We call out to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. Lord, I trust you. But Lord, I come to you and I ask for your salvation. And I know that you will be with me. You will not abandon me. You are hearing my prayers. So listen to them, God. Let me feel your presence. Let me feel your encouragement. Give me some comfort in my life. Let me draw close to you. And let me make it through this tough time. That needs to be our prayer sometimes. And God, not only for me, but let it be so for all those who would put their trust in you. And that needs to be our prayer and that needs to be our life, that God would help us. But we also are giving that hope to the world, that God is good. Hey, God has saved me. God has helped me. Let me tell you how. That's our testimony. That's our story. It's not just a one-time a one thing. Our testimony is not, hey, I was a sinner and God saved me. I mean, yeah, that's part of our testimony. That's the greatest part. But, but we have lots of testimonies as as we go through life and situations that God has helped me in this situation and he helped me through that situation and he helped me in this way and he helped me in that way. And that's what we need to tell people. In the same way that David is telling us how bad things were but how he continued to have faith in the Lord and God was with him, so you and I should tell people, hey, my life has been tough. I go through hard times. 
Let me tell you how God's Word helped me. Let me tell you how God has got me through it. And let me tell you that God wants to get you through it as well. He wants to protect those who are His. He wants to deliver them. He wants to take you home with Him one day. Are you ready to go be with the Lord? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the question that you need to answer today. And if you do, then you, you can have the same hope that David had to know that God hears you and He is with you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. I pray that we remember these words of David because we certainly have floods in our life. We feel like we are drowning in the midst of our distress. But God, I pray that you would send us good comforters. And God, I pray that you would help us to be good comforters as we go out into the world. That we can be an encouragement and a help to others who are in need. God, I thank you for the freedom to come here tonight and worship you and read these words. And I pray, God, that if anyone has heard these words and they do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that tonight they would know where to go for salvation. It is to the Lord. It is to the Lord Jesus who gave his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven. And so, God, I pray that everyone who hears these words tonight would put their faith in Jesus Christ if they have not. God, I pray that you would help us to... to Hang tight in the midst of our circumstances and not question whether you are good or compassionate, whether you hear us or whether you are with, or whether you are with us, God, because we know that every one of those things are true from your word. You are compassionate. You are good. You love us and you are with us. So God, even when it doesn't feel like it, don't let us give in to the lies of the devil, but let us trust in the truth of your word to know that you're with us in every situation. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.